AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon. And right now we are joined by Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer, as we're going to be talking about uh, some of the latest news from the state legislature, as well as an update on what's been happening with Jaleel Stallings, because one of the officers that beat him back in 2020 uh, might be facing a lighter sentence than originally expected. So we'll be talking about all of those today. Patrick, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. So let's actually start off talking about Jaleel Stallings, because just as a refresher for everyone, he was beaten by Minneapolis police officers after he shot at them in self-defense back in 2020. And now he's objecting to a plea agreement for an officer who did most of the beating. So Stallings was standing in a Lake Street parking lot back in May 2020 with a few of his friends when an unmarked white van came into view from behind a building. Then without warning, Rubber bullets were being shot at Stallings and his friends, and Stallings was actually struck in the chest. He thought that the people shooting at him were white supremacists and not police officers since they were in an unmarked van, so he grabbed his pistol and fired back, purposely missing the van, hoping to scare them off. The van then stopped, and then a Minneapolis Police Department SWAT team tumbled out, yelling, shots fired. Stallings dropped his gun, fell flat to the ground, but then officers beat him for nearly 30 seconds as he tried to explain he didn't know they were cops. Uh, this officer we referred to earlier, Stetson, uh, did the bulk of the beating. So I'm curious about this here, Patrick. What charges is Stetson facing, and why is he possibly now possibly getting a, a lighter sentence uh, with what happened to Stallings back in 2020? Well, uh, the officer uh, was originally charged uh, with the assault, and uh, the attorney general amended the charges recently for a new misdemeanor of uh, misconduct by a public officer or employee. Um, and uh, the attorney general who took over the case from the Hennepin County Attorney's Office, uh, which had uh, pretty terrible conflict of interest on the issue, um, has apparently been in some plea negotiations, and they um, were ready to, to sign a plea agreement, um, with, and he's going to be in court this week. Um, Stallings, because he's the, the victim of the crime, is entitled to um, make um, a uh, complaint himself about the plea agreement, and he's done so. Um, he thinks that this uh, the plea agreement would be uh, far too uh, lenient on the officer stalling whose uh, beating uh, wound up um, giving uh, uh, Stallings a, a uh, fractured eye socket. So um, it was a serious injury, um, and uh, he talked a little bit more about the effect uh, that the beating had on him as well in that, in that court filing. Well, he had an unbelievable quote in there, too, where he said, uh, as the innocent victim in this case, I will have served more jail time as a result of this incident than all of the officers combined. Because remember, uh, Stallings was actually originally charged with a crime, I believe even uh, possibly attempted murder on some of the Minneapolis Police Department officers until he was later acquitted of those charges when body camera footage largely, well, disputed the the claims of the police. And by the way, the reformer was reporting back on that in 2012. 21. So that that quote really struck me that he will, in, in essence, having spent more time in jail since, obviously, he faced trial uh, a couple of years ago and had to spend time in jail, even though he was later acquitted. Right. Um, he, uh, he he spent um, 
a lot of time sitting in jail, uh, waiting to get his day in court. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of folks maybe would have taken there. There was a plea offer to, to Stallings and he said, absolutely not. I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, the guy's an army veteran. He had a permit for that pistol. Uh, they, they ride up in that unmarked van. I mean, what on earth were they doing to begin with? Um, these officers, um, and, and there's also the, the question of, uh, of, uh, the, the officers, um, Stetson's, his superior in this case has not been charged. Um, and, and in Stallings, when he, when he says, I've served more direct jail term than, than all these people combined, he, he was only referring, they've only charged one of the officers thus far. Um, and, uh, and at this point, it looks like they're gonna, they're going to do a plea agreement for the for the lesser charge and misdemeanor. Um, you know, it's it's certainly common uh, for uh, for the justice system to settle these things in plea agreements. That's kind of how the system keeps moving. Um, but you can also understand Solling's uh, supreme disappointment that uh, after he got this uh, pretty pretty clear case of um, police brutality, when he wound up with a broken eye socket, fractured eye socket, and uh, it's unlikely this uh, the officer Stetson is going to serve any time at all. It, yeah, it's just unbelievable considering, as we brought up, that Stallings was actually originally charged with a crime and that acquitted. And uh, lo and behold, yeah, he will have ended up spending uh, more time in jail. You can read more about how Stallings is reacting to this possible plea agreement. He had a chance to speak with Dina Winter over the Reformer. Uh, make sure you go to minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com. Uh, moving on to some news over at the state legislature, let's talk about what's happening uh, with this bill that has to do with nurse staffing levels at hospitals around Minnesota because the Mayo Clinic is not happy about a couple of bills that are being uh, pushed by DFLers in the legislature. So union nurses and Democratic legislators say the Mayo Clinic should not get an exemption from a bill that aims to increase nurse staffing levels. The Mayo Clinic issued an ultimatum to Governor Walls and state lawmakers last week basically saying, gut those two bills or lose billions of dollars in planned investments that the Mayo Clinic had planned to make in Minnesota. So this is interesting because the nurses' union says that even a top-notch facility like the Mayo Clinic, which is, of course, a world-class medical facility, has still struggled with staffing issues. They are not an exemption to this problem, as many other hospitals have uh, been impacted as uh, as well. So what exactly is the nurses' union saying the Mayo Clinic is running into with staffing problems because they have been running into lots of these issues, it sounds like? Yeah, the, I mean, the, the nurses' union says that uh, nurses are burnt out, and that's why they're leaving the profession, especially in the, the high-pressure environment of hospitals. And um, and they think that uh, if we can uh, better regulate uh, staffing and make sure there's enough staff on the floor, uh, it'll lead to better patient care and less uh, burnout of nurses. Uh, the hospitals obviously don't want to give up any control of their own um, HR issues. Um, and, um, you know, they also are running on this, um, you know, they're, they're that high efficiency operations. They try to be or need to be. Um, and so they probably fear having to pay overtime or, um, hire more nurses that they think don't even exist. Um, the, 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 the great, uh, scoop that we had late last week from Max Nextrack was, um, 
that's kind of gone, I think, uh, it's really almost gone into national news now is that, uh, the Mayo Clinic threatening, um, they have these plans to build some kind of a new facility and they, they would take it elsewhere if they didn't get their way at the legislature. I think that, uh, has badly backfired. Um, and whoever put that, uh, that message in an email was probably, was probably a mistake <laughs> because, um, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are thinking, um, that's, uh, that kind of threatening behavior is not what we expect from, um, the crown jewel of our medical establishment, um, and, um, and an institution that, uh, has received benefits directly and indirectly, um, from Minnesota state government, um, for a long time. So, um, but they're, uh, you know, so now they, they're in this kind of, uh, bit of, uh, trying this bit of, uh, legislative, um, hard bargaining. I, I'll use a charitable word, I guess. Um, and it is a tough spot for Democratic lawmakers and Governor Tim Walz. Um, because, uh, obviously the Mayo Clinic is the Mayo Clinic. It's the, has the, uh, the most private sector employees of, of any, um, institution in, in Minnesota. Um, so they employ more folks than 3M and Target and everybody else. Um, and, uh, it has a huge reputation and, and certainly a, a, a great image. Um, and so, you know, does, do the governor walls and DFL legislative leaders want to get into some public spat with the Mayo Clinic? Um, that's, that certainly seems, uh, open to question, but they also, of course, have a lot of uh, political support from the nurses union. The nurses are the most, uh, trusted profession in America, um, in surveys year after year. So um it's a uh it's a tough spot uh for walls and uh legislative leaders, but I think that um that Mayo's threat is usually I mean that kind of thing is a sign of weakness, not strength. And so I think this uh, I, I think this nurses uh backed legislation is probably gonna wind up uh, becoming law. Well, a couple of things to to point out with that as well is that it sounds like it's not the first time that Mayo Clinic has used some of these hardball tactics, as the union has pointed out. They they use some of these types of hardball tactics to try to, in their last negotiations uh, with the unions. And then uh, I think it's also important to point out that this is almost the end of session. Uh, was Mayo Clinic doing any lobbying on these bills ahead of time? Because it seems like we're we're awfully late to all of a sudden be issuing these types of threat these types of threats late in the session when, I don't know, maybe they could have been lobbying on the bill earlier. So I, I'm just curious about the timing on this as well to all of a sudden be issuing this threat, you know, in May when we're only a few weeks away from the session closing. Yeah, um, our reporters and I have um, been asking that very question. And I think what we're picking up is that there's this sort of like late game corporate clapback uh, is, is my informal name for it. Um, I think that they were caught flat-footed a little um, by uh, the the speed and aggressiveness of this uh, DFL majority legislature. Um, it's a much more ideologically um, coherent um, and um, um, unified set of lawmakers. Uh, a lot of them are new, um, but they came in, you know, like 
like all everybody comes into the legislature with, with big ambitions, but in this case, they were able to achieve them. And um, I'm just not sure that a lot of folks who have been around the Capitol a long time were kind of ready for that. Because even like in the last time there was DFL control of the legislature 2013-2014, the DFL governor, um, you know, the, uh, the Senate at that time had, um, uh, well, both chambers had a lot of rural Democrats more moderate Democrats, especially on the Senate side. We had a majority leader was Tom Bach, who was always going to take the, the call of, uh, of those uh, corporate executives for better or worse. Um, and this is just a different, uh, different set of players and, um, they have a different agenda and right out of the gate, they were committed to getting it done. Um, and, uh, I'm just not sure that some folks who have been around the Capitol, um, were ready for that. And, uh, I don't think they had a, a kind of, uh, long-term strategy, uh, to block it. And so now they're left with making this kind of, uh, crude threats that I, I just, I don't think it's going to go that well, um, at least on this issue. Well, that's a great point you brought up, too, with uh, the political aspect of things, because yeah, even in the past 10 years, I, I think most people would agree the DFL party and the Republican party are, are much different than they were 10 years ago here in 2023 as compared to, let's say, 2013 or 2014. So I, I think, yeah, that's a, a good point. And then I, the other thing to bring up is that it sounds like the many of the DFLers are kind of not really buying this threat either, that the Mayo Clinic would really follow through and cancel all of these millions of dollars in investments because that, that wouldn't strike me as being a very easy thing to do on Mayo Clinics and all of a sudden we're going to cancel all these projects and look for a new place to, to build whatever they're going to build. So it, it kind of sounds like, too, that some of the politicians might be kind of calling their bluff and saying, well, go ahead and try to move your projects if that's really what you're going to do. Right. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's probably, uh, a, a, a good argument that, um, it's going to be very hard for them, both logistically, um, but then also just with their employees, um, you know, oh, you know, we had this plan, uh, to do this and now we're going to do something completely different. Um, you know, planning for, uh, they, they said it'd be, uh, several times the, the size investment of the, U.S. Bank Stadium, just for, as I guess they're throwing that out as an example. Well, I mean, moving, if we're, if we're talking about uh, three or four billion dollar investments, uh, not that easy to move, uh, that kind of investment from one place to another if you're, if you're building an actual physical space. Um, so, you know, can they actually pull it off? Um, and then, you know, how much damage would they do politically to themselves in this state where they still have uh, I think nearly 50,000 employees. Um, you know, it's not sure, you know, they, I'm not sure that they would follow through on that. And then, but then the problem is if you don't follow through, then, then you've lost credibility. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I just think they're in a tough spot. And I, I don't think that they, they probably must not have anticipated, um, that, uh, they would get this kind of blowback, uh, and or they um, kind of naively thought that uh, an email um, would not wind up in the hands of uh, reformer reporter Max Nextrack. 
Yeah, and all of that over uh, just a bill that has to do with nurse staffing level seems to be a a bit of an overreaction possibly yeah. uh, to see uh, what ends up happening with that. But you can certainly read more over uh, on that over at minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com. And finally, staying on the healthcare topic, uh, one last thing briefly wanted to touch on you about has to do with the Minnesota House recently passing a bill which could uh, quite possibly stop the proposed Sanford-Fairview merger as DFLers were concerned over the idea of having further consolidation in the healthcare industry and, of course, control of the University of Med- Minnesota Medical Center possibly being owned by a South Dakota company. So what exactly does this bill do that the House passed that could uh, possibly – well, stop the Sanford-Verview merger and any other possible future mergers that could uh, could have concerns about a lack of competition. Yeah, so this provision is is in both the uh, uh, both in the big uh, omnibus uh, budget bills, and now it's also in the standalone bill. And so it has an even better shot at final passage. Um, and certainly, it, it looks like it's uh, it's aimed at this uh, proposed merger of Fairview Health Services and, and Sanford, which is based in Sioux Falls. Um, Democrats have been, and unions have been critical of it, saying that it uh, would create a monopoly, um, especially in greater Minnesota, and uh, they would close clinics and, um, and raise costs for patients as a result of that. Um, and so they've, they've given the, uh, the Attorney General, um, um, who... Uh, who is already has, uh, you know, he's investigating this merger, um, but this would um, prohibit a transaction that substantially lessens competition or tends to create a monopoly. So um, that's pretty strong language. Um, and then there's also the issue of the University of Minnesota's um, teaching hospital, uh, which is in the the the, uh, the hands of Fairview. Um, and um, the the bill would prohibit University of Minnesota healthcare facilities from being owned in, in whole or part by an out of state entity, unless the, the attorney general uh, says it's in the public interest. So, um, w- once again, that that cleans up this issue of uh, Sanford taking over the U teaching hospital, which a lot of people, including uh, former Governor Tim Pawlenty, the last Republican to win statewide here. And, and former Governor Mark Dayton uh, both testified uh, that the the idea of uh, uh, Sioux Falls-based Sanford owning University of Minnesota's teaching hospital is unacceptable. So, so the bill cleans that up as well. So this like looks like it's probably going to become law now that uh, we're seeing it in the uh, Omnibus Health Budget Bill um, and then also in the standalone bill. So uh, they are not taking any chances on this. Yeah, and as you said, uh, especially when we had both uh, Governor Tim, former Governor Tim Pawlenty and Mark Dayton uh, testifying against the idea of uh, having the University of Minnesota Medical Center being owned by a South Dakota company, yeah, kind of seemed to doom that merger. So not surprised now that we are seeing uh, action being taken in the legislature that could possibly stop that merger. Read more about that at minnesotareformer.com, as well as all of the other stories we talked about, again, minnesotareformer.com, as we have been speaking with Patrick Hulican, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Patrick, as always, thanks for coming on the show today. Always a pleasure. Thank you. All right, let's take a break and send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM 950.